During their time at Amaris Hill Campus Church, Ashley and Andrew both experienced and witnessed how a toxic church culture can impact everyone it touches. And after they left Mars Hill, they did their best to reconcile fractured relationships and apologize for their own complicity in upholding the unhealthy church culture. So when they started talking to their friend, Pastor D, who also left Mars Hill, about joining him when he planted a church in Los Angeles, they were full of excitement and optimism. This was an opportunity to help create a healthy church from the ground up. They did not have jobs when they packed up their two kids and sold most of their belongings and took the long drive from Seattle to Los Angeles. But they believed in their souls that this was the faith that God calls us to, leaving all we know to follow Jesus and serve his church. When they arrived in Los Angeles, they lived in a small one-bedroom apartment close to Pastor D and the community they wanted to serve. They knew this was going to be hard work but they were ready. However, when they showed up to their first service, they were both surprised by the resources and families that were already there. It didn't seem like a month-old church plant that was in desperate need of volunteers. A month into their time in LA, there was a traumatic event that made them question Pastor D and why they sacrificed everything to move to LA. Pastor D encouraged them to stay because he warned how the devil could use this event to divide the church. Ashley and Andrew were conflicted, but they agreed to stay and remain silent in order not to side with the devil. Andrew would eventually be asked to join the church's board, and with his professional experience as an accountant, it seemed like a perfect place for him to use his expertise. And Ashley was empowered to dream about what the kids' ministry could be like. But soon, more red flags emerged. Andrew began to raise legitimate questions around the church budget, but was met with double talk and frustration. Ashley's kids' ministry decisions were undermined by Pastor D, and when she asked for feedback, she was met with unwarranted criticism. They were also struggling physically and financially. Andrew had a tough time finding a job, and once he did, it wasn't enough to support the basic needs of his family. So Andrew was skipping breakfast and lunch most days to ensure there was enough food for his family. He was even told that this was representing Christ to his family, which further encouraged Pastor D and some staff. Both Ashley and Andrew were experiencing a variety of health issues that impacted their day-to-day lives and mobility. But despite all of this, Andrew and Ashley deeply desired to stay and serve Pastor D in this church. So they pushed down all of their concerns and pressed on. I'm Jay Coyle, and this is the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. I am all about blessed subtraction. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> And by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't gonna stop. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't gonna stop. In that first year, you guys have talked to us a little bit about MCs and like the... um the 
what what's the word like the growth pattern i don't know if i'm using the right word the way that it grew into this commitment that was so bizarre and i think it would be it's worth sharing because i think it gives some context when the initial communities first got started there was and actually has a very lengthy like covenant contract you'd sign to join these groups and basically you commit to attending and notifying people and like it was a big deal because somebody wanted to join, but the group had to vote on whether or not the, the person joined the, the missional community. And some people felt really awkward because who wants to be the one person raising their hands? And I don't know if this person should join the group when everyone else says yes. Like it was. Do you have like valid, like, do you have, did you ever experience it where you're like, oh, that makes sense why that person wouldn't be there? Or is it just like, I don't really want them at our lunch table? <laughs> no, it was more like, we okay we made this covenant and we were very firm with other people saying like you have to wait until this date to get into an mc and so it felt like we were kind of picking who was cool enough to kind of get in without having to wait you know sort of thing it just felt very like what's going on like why did this person get to come in halfway through our session when this person and this person don't get to like what it just felt very um exclusive but yeah it was just it it was just yes it was it was very exclusive not as exclusive as other things but it was exclusive and it was very much yeah it was in july of 2017 that we got this covenant and you know you had your disciple group your missional community group and social gatherings that you had to commit to and there was even a comment of that we have to be faithful to attend or let people know why I'm going to be gone so people won't make assumptions about why. And we were like, I mean, isn't that kind of counter to what we're trying to do? But I mean, yeah. Instead so of discipling the assumptions, because that's freaking weird already. <laughs> if you have an assumption, that's weird. Let's disciple that and be like, what is, why are you yeah. thinking bad things about this person because they didn't come to MC one night. It's like, well, you are responsible if someone thinks something bad of you because you wanted to stay home and watch Gilmore Girls because you were tired. Like, what? (laughs) That's so weird. Yeah. And that's why eventually we had to leave. Like, well, the MC, that one that Pastor D was heading up was because with Andrew's um, back needing surgery in January of 2018 and me being starting to be diagnosed with different health issues like we couldn't make the requirements we knew we couldn't attend every week we knew we couldn't you know all of these things and it just so we had to bow out for a season because ours wasn't the family group it was pastor d's group and we were the only other family and it was at his house so his kids could go to sleep which makes perfect sense but unless we wanted to travel you know the 20 minutes down to the other community group we couldn't it just wasn't working for our family. So we were kind of out of the loop there. And for did a while. you guys have to, what's the requirement for being in a community group? Did you have to be in a community group? It was strongly encouraged. So there were very few official requirements, but I, I knew from other interactions I had with Pastor D, he did not think high, he thought he shared some, uh, how do I want to put it? Um, his comments about other particular other people and men that didn't join missional communities was very negative. 
and like they were very not committed to the mission of the church because mm-hmm. they were not willing to join a missional community. So there's relational fallout by not being, and like there's like a question of your character by not being in it. So we avoided the character because we stepped out because we knew we couldn't meet this very high bar of attendance. So to some degree, past you, so that makes sense. I'm thankful that you're not doing it, but. By doing that, we stepped out of a functional set of community because, um, you know, you don't have those touch points with people, and people really kept their touch points a lot of times within their community or they, That's teams. all they have time for. So if you weren't part, <laughs> oh yeah, there's events like there's game nights Fridays, there's UFC fight nights Saturdays, there's. DGs once a week. There's MCs once a week. There's you know the special leadership stuff once a month. Like, and that's not giving like band practice mm-hmm. or other. I mean, this is Jay's worst was, nightmare. So, an initial <laughs> community group, from what I've heard, like they're supposed to have like a people group they want to service or help. Did these missional communities people group or something? Did they have that, or is it just a meet? Just you met. Just met, but the name was chosen with a hope that it would lead people on mission by the name itself. But when you mean on mission, you're talking more about like uh, evangelism, right? Yeah, evangelism, getting what well, evangelism are really getting more people to attend service. Yes. Goodness. Okay, so that's all brewing under the surface. So you had just mm-hmm. had pack surgery yeah. in January. <laughs> uh, Ashley, you're getting all sorts of different diagnosis and health trials are going on you decide to start an mc so that probably partially so you can actually have community because <laughs> you were out of a yeah. mc for that whole time right from it was fall i think fall ish 2018 until late spring almost summer 2018 yeah we started it was something that we had wanted to do like i said earlier like we had picked the place to rent because of its location we had prayed that we could get a place that would be big enough to host people. And while it was, you know, a tiny one bedroom, it wasn't like you had a couch and you had a place mm-hmm. you could, you know, sit on the floor and was in within walking distance of campus. And so finally we're able to do that and got that off the ground. And it was a Sunday afternoon, a missional community group for people that, you know, couldn't make it because they had, you know, other obligations or homework or what else that, you know, Sundays could work. And it was all college students and it was so amazing. It was the first time that I felt like we started to flourish mm-hmm. as a family. My two boys adored those college students. I mean, they would sing like the Mulan <laughs> songs from the movie together. And like we opened up our home for dinners and brunches and any holiday because we were always, we could never afford yeah. to travel. So we were always in LA, even when everybody else was gone. I think one thing to highlight was why... I think it was good is we didn't have anyone overseeing our, yeah. what we were doing. <laughs> our group was just sort of more or less for at least for a while, kind of on its own. There wasn't of all the ministries that were overseeing this one, at least our group wasn't really like, I don't remember there being any, like I know when we were at Mars Hill, you had coaches, but we didn't have any of that at that point. So we just kind of, the group was free to do what it wanted to do. Yeah. It, you know, that was in May that it started. And then honestly, fall of late summer, early fall of 2019 is when everything just started. What I would say was like 
you know, interactions with Pastor D and, you know, like toxicity within systems and all of those things that they felt really like a one-off before the fall of 2019, mm-hmm. um, as well as it, it was definitely still there. So like the culture didn't shift in the sense of like, wow, now we're toxic. Before we weren't. Um, but it was like there were embers of that toxicity. But then fall 2019, like gas was poured on it and then it blew up. So what happened in fall of 2019 that made it blow up? You know, that's a great question. Our best theory is the church gained one more staff member. And that staff member helped Pastor to be a lot more efficient and effective in what he was trying to do. So they didn't necessarily take on, as far as I know, a lot of ministry roles, but their role was to sort of help him be more effective and efficient. In that regard, they were, I think, successful. Oh, yeah. Staff member, like M, we'll call this person, um, was exceedingly, like, went from, like, you know, a bunch of guys in college putting together a program to, you know, a business major bringing professionalism to the game. Like I said, it threw the gas on the fire that was already there, but now it looks professional, it sounds amazing, and the reach is broad. During that time, I'm not sure who was in charge of it or responsible, but they kind of reorganized and restructured all missional communities from the top down. Um, and that process began. It didn't finish. It started in the fall of 2019, finished really winter time, but that was kind of when our ability to run the group or the group be autonomous like was taken away because uh, now there were different from the top down expectations of what the group should be or shouldn't be or what it should or shouldn't do what communication are you guys getting andrew in particular from pastor d like as you're leading this mc well, technically, the rule is that there were no leaders of the MC, but when I'd meet with Pastor G, he's like, well, because you're the oldest and you have kids, you're kind of the def- you're going to be seen as the leader. Yeah. But technically, they're, on paper, there weren't supposed to be leaders, but functionally, someone's going to, someone has to lead a discussion. Someone has to like figure out where are we going to have? What are we going to eat? What are we going to do? So I kind of took on those roles and, you know, Pastor, you always seemed to be a little bit hesitant because at this point, him and I started having some theological differences over secondary issues. You know, we just, we had differences and it kind of started to grow, but otherwise there wasn't, you know, like when the, I don't know if I was contacted when the whole like restructuring of the Michelle communities occurred, because like I said, I wasn't technically the leader of the group from a like on paper standpoint. Yeah. And by this time, um, we had a church planter in residence that had come on staff. So he was, you know, involved in that. Like he was going to be in charge of those things. And staff member M was, you know, starting to do stuff. And this staff member was a part of this group um, that we had been leading. And so we knew a lot of things because this staff member was in our group. And so they would, you know, be like, oh, yeah, these are the changes coming. And you'd be like, okay. All right. Um, but yeah, there was nothing communicated really at all. Well, there are leaders. Yeah. That was the biggest change. Like there is now going to be three leaders as like architect and, and apprentice. How big is your church right now? How many people at this time? On a good Sunday, 60 to 70, maybe. 60 to 70. How many, how many missional communities do you have? There are three or four. 
Okay. So four. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now, now you have titles. Now we have titles. What are those? Architect and Apprentice are those two t- titles? Yeah. Yep. And then Ambassador and... Administrator. Administrator. Oh, my gosh. Did it this come from a book or something? Or, or was it... Well, if you've ever heard of... What's the... Jesus, the prophet, priest, king, which I heard a yes. lot of more. So I'm like, oh, this is just with different names. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So if you're, if you're familiar with prophet, priest, king... Okay. You're... Administrator is the king, your ambassador is the like prophet supposed to help people, then or the priest was the ambassador and the architect was the prophet. It is basically I'm like, oh I've done this before. So so they made up a t- was there like a was there like a pyramid scheme or not a pyramid scheme? Did they draw like a pyramid <laughs> and put anybody at the top and then the No, no nobody was, was at uh, top. All three well, were equal ish. Okay. No. Ish, but if there was a disagreement, the architect's the one that got to settle the disagreement. So functionally, they were at the top. Well, and like I said, it's this stuff has all been brewing since we moved. But then this like late summer, early fall 2019, this stiff stuff that used to be like either a one off or like, oh, well, that's weird is now like, wait, now this is normal. This is our commonplace. This is how we're doing it. And this is, and this is like, and it's not just like these, oh, well, this is what we're doing. You just have to know because you know, it's like, no, no, no. Now we're writing this out. Did he name those people? Like this is the architect. Is that who he named? Is is that the leader? The architect? We were supposed to self-nominate. Okay. It was up to the planter and residents to actually decide who got the roles. Mm-hmm. So me and one other okay. person actually put our name in for the architect and I lost. Yeah. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, this is it was so. A close, uh, I heard. I heard it was a close vote, though. So yeah, it was one against nobody. Yeah. For more context, the architect ends up being staff member M's spouse, and staff member M oh. becomes the ambassador, and then we are the administrator because we're still hosting and we still plan the dinner and everything. House. So it's kind of there, and then staff member M's best friend becomes the uh apprentice now mind you we have 10 people in our missional community that's four people in leadership that have to meet for leadership meetings of a church of 60 people 60 people at your church you've got yeah four okay yeah yeah one thing that you guys have in your notes that are that was important it looks like almost a quote that pastor d says to andrew that you weren't open-minded yeah. Um, so the church started to branch down a more charismatic stream of theology, which wasn't where I was comfortable. And Pastor D wanted me to start experimenting with different forms of prayer and other spiritual gifts that I just didn't feel comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. That I didn't feel, I mean, I have my own convictions of why I didn't necessarily agree with them, but. The fact that I wasn't willing to go out on this like spiritual limb and try these things, he saw me as being closed-minded and kept continuing to push me to do these things I really didn't feel comfortable with in a spiritual sense. Mm-hmm. But he'd always back up like, oh, you know, you know how smart you are. You're much a gift to the church because you know so much theology, but maybe that's getting in the way of your ability to like do these things. Which is... Oh my gosh you guys have noted is a boundary push. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. oh wait, well, you're all of your logic is telling you right now this isn't safe or this isn't right for you 
but mm-hmm. your logic is actually getting in the way and we're going to need you, which I mean, here's the deal. I'm a worship leader. I, I used to be a worship leader. And so I get like, <laughs> sometimes it does, like there is, there is good that can come from in obedience right now, I'm going to worship on my knees. Like I'm going to fall to my knees and actually worship. And like, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. As a worship leader, I love those moments, but they can't be something that we make people do. That has to be spirit led. Like God has to. Mm-hmm. And yes, there is part of that is being obedient to the spirit, right? So you're going to have, sometimes you do have to push out of your comfort zone in obedience to the spirit, but Pastor D is not you. He doesn't know what the spirit of God is doing in your heart. He doesn't know where what God is working on with you, or even if that's a way that God wants to minister to you and care for you in that moment and be relational with you. It, it looks different because God created us all differently, which is beautiful. I think this kind of starts segueing to our next point, but like the one particular issue was he wanted me to start doing listening prayer. So we get in these groups and we would spend like five minutes trying to listen to the Holy Spirit and then share a word or vision that the Holy Spirit gave. Everyone had a vision or a word. And I'm like, this didn't just like, I didn't participate. I just sat and talked to the guy teaching the training. It's not to say I don't believe there are gifts and the Holy Spirit can't work that way. But I think when you have a training on that and you're forcing people to start saying, share what the Holy Spirit showed you in a five minute span, I wasn't comfortable with going down that road. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it felt like there was no more autonomy of how you walked with the Lord. It was to walk with the Lord faithfully, you will do X, Y, and Z. And if you're not willing, and if you don't have that happen, then there's either sin in your life or you're closed-minded or are you not all in with the church and the vision that Jesus has given our church? And so it didn't feel like an open-handed issue anymore. It was very much... um, suddenly became like, this is what our church is about. And this is like, (laughs) for lack of a better way to say it, this is the bus. Are you on it or are you behind it? Yeah. And it felt like it was overnight. And that all of a sudden it was like, oh, we're okay. And that all happened during the same time that your guys kind of, all the missional community structure changed. Andrew, um, you kind of lost the you guys have called it like the de facto leadership role of the MC, uh, mm-hmm. which was painful because it was something you guys loved. And that seemed like mm-hmm. it was just organic and a space that you guys were flourishing. The people in your home were flourishing. And now it's having to bend into this vision, which honestly mm-hmm. seems like a very unclear vision and chaotic vision with lots of titles in it. And at this time, <laughs> at this time in your story, The staff takes a trip to South Africa. Can you guys explain how that plays into... It sounds like you guys are already building up to this moment that happens when the staff travels there. Can you explain that and then kind of how that affected the culture of the church again, even further? Yeah, so I believe it's October 2019. The staff takes a trip to South Africa for this um conference thing that the church is a part of another network during so some of the staff receive miraculous healing they come back and now the church is really about the healing gifts and the gifts of prophecy it's like 
pushed really hard. Basically, the way forward for the church, the way for mission is you're not going to tell people else the gospel. You're going to be like, hey, can I pray for you? Then they're going to get healed and they're going to come to Christ through that. I mean, that was really a big, like, you kind of like, they got back and was like, oh, I assume, no, they're going to be back on Sunday. They're going to share about what happened in South Africa. It's like, oh, now, now we're a healing church sort of thing. We literally had a healing service, that service. I was in, I was doing worship at the time. And so I was on the worship team for that Sunday. And Pastor D came up to me that morning as I was, you know, prepping my worship slides, because I was also doing production at that point, too, and said, hey, throw everything out the window. Here's the new plan. I got healed. So-and-so got healed. We're going to do a huge prayer service, and we're going to heal some other people. And I was like, hey, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks. Hi. Welcome back. (laughs) What do you mean? All right. So our set list probably isn't going to work anymore. Yeah. It was so just bizarre because it wasn't just like, this is something we're going to start praying and processing. It was, we met on the 18 hour flight home and that's all we thought about. And Jesus is leading our church this way. And so we're going to spend a whole bunch of time praying for people and speaking over people and God is going to work massively through us. And it was really uncomfortable. And I can only speak from, I mean, I know it was uncomfortable for Andrew too, (laughs) just because I know him a little bit, but For me personally, at this point, my health is deteriorated to the point where I'm not walking Mm -hmm. into church on Sunday mornings. I'm either having to use a cane, which is pretty rare, using a walker, which is most of the time, or Andrew is pushing me in my wheelchair because I can't physically walk. I'm in so much pain because my my arthritis is like spreading everywhere. So I'm sitting um, up on stage as a, you know, part of the worship team hearing about all of these healings and I'm just thinking to myself like, okay, well maybe I'm going to be healed. You know, I, I don't know. This is crazy, yeah. but I guess if this is what God's doing and pastor D I specifically remember came up to me after the service and said, Hey, I want to pray for you. Would that be okay? We want to, we, we all want to pray for you for your healing. I was still like sitting up because I was waiting for Andrew to help me down the stairs to get into the wheelchair or the walk or whatever one it was. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, uh, yeah, sure. That's, that's fine. You know, you can say no to prayer, but it wasn't just a prayer anymore. It was like, we've learned how to pray now. And it was exceedingly, well, long, but uncomfortable because then the second it was done, it was like, did you feel anything? Do you feel any sensations? Do you feel warmth or tingling? Or did you have any visions or like, what was God speaking to you during it? Do you feel better? Can you walk? Can you, and it was like, and I felt bad. Like, no, I, I didn't feel anything. Actually, I hurt worse because now I was hunched over with everybody's like hands on my back. And so I hurt worse. Yeah. Um, for me, like that was probably one of the hardest things about this transition was not the suddenness, which was sudden. It was not the like either in or out, but it was, I was kind of, I felt cast off. Yeah. Because who wants to go to the back of the church to get prayed for healing? from a gal in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. When your pastor got healed and staff member M got healed and the worship leader got healed or not the worship, some other staff members get healed. Like who wants to, like, who's going to pick that? Like in that sort of culture, you're just not, you're not making the cut anymore. Yeah. It just, yeah. It just kind of felt like it was compounding. And at this point, um, Andrew and I have gotten really, really close with church, the church planter, in residence and his wife and their kids. And 
you know, to the point where my oldest had a birthday party and he literally only wanted this other kid at his party. Mm. And so we just had a party and it was the two families and it was beautiful. You know, Andrew and I had shared pretty openly with, you know, the church planter and his wife, our concerns with like, what just happened? They were really like understanding and talked us through it. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we can see that this is difficult for you guys. And it's new for us too, you know, sort of thing. And it was that point, like fall, winter of 2019, they were like, well, maybe we'll just go over to his church when he plants. It's got to be sometime soon. It was supposed to be like a year ago, but at some point he'll be launched. And at that point, like this is no longer a safe place for our family. We're no longer welcome here. We can just feel like this isn't what we signed up for. And so we're just trying to like figure out what, what do we do now? Because yeah. And that's the point when um, Pastor D, if you even, I mean, if you question him for, obviously throughout the whole time, it was like, why are you questioning? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was uh, not a very charitable way that it was received with. Mm-hmm. But this is the point when, you know, he, and Andrew can speak to this, but he will pull Andrew aside after one of the leadership monthly meetings and ask like, well, what do you think about this? And Andrew will say, I'm actually, what did you say? Like, I'm actually really concerned about this. And Pastor D, I will never forget the look on his face, looks at Andrew takes a noticeable, like, leans back and is like, whoa, brother, concern. That's a really, that's a really loaded word. And I remember, like, kind of laughing to myself from across the room, like, concern is now an off-limit word that we can't say. But yeah, he's like, we need to meet up. We need to, we, we need to talk about this, brother. We need to talk about this. And he would always call Andrew brother. Yeah. Compose myself. Uh, <laughs> That's painful. I mean, I think at that point, we're looking for an approved way to leave. So once again, getting back to like sending church, it's a, it's, a, it's acceptable to leave if you're going to go help play another church. And I was considering seminary. It's also approved to leave to go to seminary. Like these are all things. So I don't know if we we're consciously like thinking of a way out or just subconscious like this is not welcome anymore. And we want to get out yeah. and just leaving didn't feel like an acceptable like way to go about that and like you know what she's saying with the concern is i told pastor yeah i was concerned because at that with that leadership meeting for the month was that they on the agenda was planning for a service just for healing like that was the whole point of the service and i was like i'm concerned about that i'm not sure we should advertise something that's come here to get healed that was my logic like that's we should be really careful what we what the church says they can offer yeah uh <laughs> and it was supposed to be geared toward non-believers that was the focus. It was not just going to be a healing service. It was bring your friends, bring your family, bring your coworkers, and we're going to do a healing service. Um, so it felt very bait and switch yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, and at that point, you know, we're still pretty new at this whole healing thing. And so it, yeah. Gosh. It, at about that time, you guys actually started doing fasts as well, right? Yeah. First, the staff started doing three day fast, and then the leadership. The month, so some people are part of like a monthly leadership group. They started doing three day fast, and then eventually during COVID, it processed to a church wide three day fast. And three days of not eating, especially when you have no guidance on what you're supposed to do for those three days, is a lot. Mm-hmm. I discovered like I tried and failed like halfway through, and it. And you were already only eating one meal a day, anyways. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you're like, gosh, my whole life is a fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
literally. And I couldn't because I had meds right. that I was on and I couldn't like regulate without food. Yep. But there were literally, there were, I kid you not, people that had stopped taking their medication so they could fast because it was like, you can only take this on a full stomach. Well, I'm just not going to take the meds because it's more important to fast for God. And so that was not that that can't be a personal conviction, but that was just the like culture. That was just a culture. Yeah. You have to do it. And hearing from staff members after their fast, like one person was like, I forgot where I parked my car because I was so out of it. And I could barely remember the drive home. And I was like, oh, my what gosh, are we doing? this is not safe. Yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> and your health at this point. So all this healing stuff's going on and your health is kind of deteriorating worse, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I in January 2020, my autoimmune disease had gotten bad enough that I needed to be put on the highest like tier of medication for it. It's an immuno blocker like injection that I have to take every other week. And basically, so this is pre COVID, like no one even, I mean, some people that are, you know, doomsday are like, Oh, I've heard this thing is going to come, but nobody like has known about COVID really in January. And I, uh, my rheumatologist is like, you need to start these meds because we can't control your disease. But I know you're, we were supposed to be going up to Seattle, the boys and myself for a trip. And she goes, you have to buy N95 masks to go on planes now. And you cannot be around anyone who's sick because half your immune system is down. And that's how the biologics work is because they shut down the immune system because it's my immune system that's eating away at my joints with, you know, irreversible damage, but that's yeah. a side note. And so we communicated that to our MC, you know, the new leadership team of the MC that, hey, we need to announce this to our MC that if you're sick, like normal people, you get a cold, you're sneezing, you're a little bit stuffed up. Like as long as you don't cough in someone's face, like whatever, like you're fine to go to someone's house. That can't be the norm anymore. Like if you're sick, you can't come to MC at our house. I've been advised by my doctors to have everyone who comes in the house take off their shoes, wash their hands, and now we can hang out. Like, it's that serious mm-hmm. of a thing. Again, pre-COVID. And the first response from staff member M and the rest of the team on leadership of the MC is, that's going to be such an easy out for people not to attend. And by this time, you know, we already have our covenant that we're supposed to do with our Jesus conversations and... Can you explain what that is for everyone? I think that will be. I honestly don't know. That was a topic of conversation a few times is how do we define this? Because it had to be, you couldn't just say the name of Jesus during the conversation with a non-believer. You had to like go through the salvation story and it had to be like a definite progress towards something. So we were, that was part of the agreement was that, I mean, by that time, the leader, the once a month invite only leadership stuff that was part of your requirements was to have a certain number of Jesus. They called them Jesus conversations a week, just because you were on leadership. That was your, like one of the things you had to be doing. So this all happened in January of 2020. You guys had like a membership, an MC, and then your MC gets a covenant in that month as well. Yeah. That was between fall and winter of 2019 through early 2020. Mm-hmm. I think the actual covenant was January because that's after the roles were assigned. So was this all MCs changed to now having a covenant or just yours? Mm-hmm. Yeah, each group was supposed to have their own. Each group was supposed to have one. That was more or less supposed to be kind of the role of the architect of how they saw or envisioned the group going. 
I don't know if all the groups are quite as detailed or as this one. Because this would be staff member M's spouse and staff member M. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. what is this covenant that happens in January? And then what does Jesus conversations have to do with it? Yeah. And and, it, and I think that's the hard thing is like, even when you ask, what is a Jesus conversation? I'm like, I'm not sure. Because yeah. I think I got it wrong for a while. I mean, at the end of the day, I wasn't having them because I was on the couch with my two boys trying right. to live. <laughs> so I'm not out like evangelizing on the streets of West LA. <laughs> the Trader Joe's cashier. That I'm not going to. Yeah. So if I remember correctly, to be a full Jesus conversation, have it count. You had to start with Genesis, creation, go through the fall, and then skip to Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. And that, if you didn't, so it had to go from that. You had to, basically, the person needed to know they were a sinner and then get to the good news they need to accept Jesus. Because I thought, like, so it had a lot of structure, but it's very, like, it's a deep and large, especially in LA, to have that conversation of, like, we're going to start with Genesis and I'm going to bring you all the way to the crucifixion and resurrection in, like, two minutes. Like, and you said, count, have it count. So were you stroke counting your Jesus conversations you were having? Yes. Literally, there's a Google form. Yeah, and how? <laughs> <laughs> That's not and normal. How Come many? <laughs> how many Jesus conversations were you required to have in like a week? Three, three. And you did yeah. you have to? And that was put the first... them in the Google form after you had them. That was that was my job as as, as administrator was to I have recorded them after our MCs. After, so oh well now this even gets better. So <laughs> I told you at MC about my Jesus conversations. It was around the table. It's the first topic that we talk about while we're eating dinner. We sit down to dinner, we pray for dinner, and then each person successfully or successive they each person goes around and says if they've had a Jesus conversation, what they were, and part of the covenant that we sign is saying that we commit to allowing the ambassador, also staff member M, push back on our potential lack of Jesus conversations and to let other people in to lovingly like rebuke and like push on why are we not having those? Which for every week that was me because you couldn't be in the world. I'm not going yeah. anywhere at that point. Well, not even like I couldn't be in the world, but also I can't literally make we I can't bring the boys anywhere. I can't like even walk on my own. So it just ain't happening. So you so I would get you would push back on me if I didn't have enough Jesus conversations and try to help you figure out what to do. Was it like a shame thing? Like shame on you, Jay, for not talking to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't written in the covenant that we should shame said person. But oh, yeah. What is a successful conversation? You don't know. Like conversion on the spot? I don't remember one person being saved in the entirety of the three years that we were involved in this church. Maybe one. Maybe one. But that person really didn't stick. But no, there were zero. There were people that like, oh, I didn't take my faith seriously and now I want to be baptized. That was awesome. I'm not discounting that. But there was no like from a Jesus conversation this person came to know Christ. Zero. And it was really discouraging, especially as leaders who, like, we're literally during our monthly leadership, church-wide leadership gatherings, 
we have a list of what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be having 300 Jesus conversations in the year of 2020 per MC. That was the goal. That was the standard. So we broke it down to three per person. Per Hold on. Week. This is getting, oh gosh. So the, the church said the leadership, so Pastor D, they made that initiative, mm -hmm. 300 per mm -hmm. MC. Yes. So did yes. the Google Doc, did that get back to Pastor D? Like as far as who, like what each, each MC was doing? Or was there some, did the leadership talk about Jesus conversations from their MC? Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was like that one and see, so there was the talk that we and have the MC. Um, during yeah. our MC and then that gets brought up to the monthly church wide leadership. That's like the uppermost leadership of the church. We have this meeting once a month that, and so that's part of it is like, how's your MC doing with your, remember, I think every single meeting we had was remember to submit your Jesus conversation numbers. Remember to do that. Oh We're counting them, you know, sort of thing. Okay. I'm trying to figure, I mean, this is really, I mean, this is, we're going to need a diagram. So if, if you come in to your, and I'm also saying this because this is enormously problematic. And if you're a pastor and you think this is okay, that's a, that's a huge problem. I mean, this <laughs> also, is enormously we can all see each other's faces and other people yeah. can't see our faces, yeah. but Jay and me, our eyebrows are like in our hairline. <laughs> yeah. Like, what you are you even saying? <laughs> Ashley just held out a document of a, of a covenant and it was Two a page pages. long. Two pages. Okay. Two pages. All right. Long. Okay. For an MC. <laughs> so if. This was just one of the month's meeting agenda. Don't okay. worry. This is. Just... So if I come in, I'm an MC leader. I've had a hundred Jesus conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my group has had a hundred Jesus conversations. What happens? in that church leadership. Well, that didn't happen. Everybody made their number. No. Nobody. Nobody okay. made their number ever. Uh, it's just, it's bizarre. I, I mean, uh, there's so many, like, again, there's just so many things to say, but I want to move us along. So, all right. So your, your MCs, you're, you've launched the Jesus conversations. You both are out of MC leadership. Uh, Ashley, you're going through some very serious health stuff to all to where you really can't have people at your house. And if they are, they have to take precautions. Then COVID hits. Walk us through what happened next. When it really got problematic for us with COVID was when LA went into its lockdown, obviously the church could no longer meet to, in person, and especially not in a confined space mm -hmm. like they were. The school we're meeting at was shut down, so they're like, you can't come here. Even realistically, any other viable options outside of the field was off limits in LA at that point. I'm not even sure if LA would have tolerated a field. The beaches were shut down. And so we switched to a, the church, switched to a Zoom church, but not like a webinar Zoom, but like you see everyone's face and try to make it feel like you're in church because you can see everybody. But to do that, Pastor D wanted to have all the staff come together and work on it together on a Sunday in a confined space while this was occurring. And so I had met, texted him asking, like, I think just like, was he aware? I mean, I just think I think I more asked, like, were you aware of like LA's like restrictions? Is this within the restrictions that LA has? 
Um, he got really kind of defensive and angry that I asked him. Then he asked, did you even look at the, the, the thing? So I've been talking with other pastors. I'm talking with Acts 29 pastors. We're working this out together. Like, you know, it didn't really work. He said it didn't really work when he streamed from his home. He wanted to be at a business setting and have business internet for all of them. Never really made sense to me, but it was very much like I pressed a nerve that I didn't realize. I mean, I kind of knew I was there. Like I knew I sent the text. This may not be received well. But my conscience just is like, I've, I got to ask because this just looks terrible in the way they, I mean, I knew they were doing it, but they kind of tried to make it look they were in different places because different walls had different paint colors. So they put different people at different places. So you couldn't, unless you knew, you didn't realize they were all more or less within one building, one space, and that there was someone behind a computer. And that was the, like, the fourth of the very first week of April 2020, which... That's only two weeks after official lockdown for L.A., which for every other listener, a lot of the country did not respond the same way that L.A. did. So all of us on this call on this episode right now all lived in L.A. during COVID 2020 lockdown. And it was intense. Like you can't go out of your house unless you're actively exercising was literally the rules at this current point. So as someone who was on a church staff to give context it was there was no religious exemption in the beginning for services um so you pushing back at that moment i don't there actually wasn't space written into the restrictions for any gatherings of any type which did make it harder like as a worship leader it was hard <laughs> but that's where it was in april of 2020 yeah um, so eventually, you know, me and Pastor D had a phone call about it because you know, we want to talk more about it. Didn't really end with anything. He f- was concerned that I was questioning his moral character. If I was, that wasn't really my intention at that point, or um, it was never really my intention. I mean, the fact that you asking a question is that in like that intense of an ex- of a response. Like, if you ask a question of me, you're questioning me as a person. You're questioning all my character. Is a very toxic view of yourself like i you can't even ask me a question without it being a complete affront to my entire character yeah and at this time the teaching coming out of pastor in the church was that if you don't meet in person it's because you have a weak conscience so we're kind of being told i mean from him like hey if you're unwilling to do certain things and i mean it's a little bit earlier on but like if you were you know going into some isolation or actually respecting the authorities at this point, like you're just kind of had a weak conscience and you weren't willing to like trust the Lord. And it just got real awkward. What kind of came to head was then Easter of that year, which was only just like a week after my phone call with him, like they brought in more people because they had a full band. They had an Easter band. This whole time church, uh, our, you know, the church planter that we've come really, really close with, he has not been at these Sunday things. You know, they have a brand new baby and they just they he hasn't been there. So we feel very comfortable talking about like our concerns with this. Easter Sunday rolls around and I see the six people and I like panicked because it was already hard for me to know that there are like four or five people scattered around this one like little building, not building, sorry, room. When I see the band, I like I almost started crying because I was like, I don't feel safe anymore. Like, do they not get that this like this could kill me. And I feel it just felt very scary to think that this is where like what was happening. So 
And bless his heart, Andrew was like, don't send it. Don't send it. But I sent two text messages that morning to the church planter and his wife, and then a dear friend of mine who I trusted with everything. And I said in the message, um, verbatim, would love prayer, struggling a lot with the service right now, but I want to have the grace to trust and also walk in the light. And the wife of the church planner responds, would love to pray for you. Can you elaborate? And I said, it was hard for us to see the worship team and know that there were more people there than even last week. I'm not sure how to express it. And church planner responds, totally. That was our guest, but wanted to make sure absolutely praying friend um, and got a similar response from my dear friend. And so that was it. I mean, I literally sent those two text messages while on the verge of tears and like visibly shaking out of like, what is going on? And didn't think much of it. So that was the 12th. Yeah, the 12th of April. I remember Andrew's words to me was, if you send that, it's not going to go well. And I was like, it'll be fine. I literally, I picked these two people because I don't want it. Like, which is so bizarre. Like that should be fine to send to anyone at any time. Yeah. The amount that you even had the wherewithal to be like, don't send it. This is going to be an issue is very indicative of an extremely unhealthy environment that you guys were living in. Oh, yeah. And Andrew saw this months, if yeah. not years before I did. But I was at this point, I think, to be really honest, part of my story is I've dealt with abuse almost all my life. So I'm used to this sort of stuff. And it just mm -hmm. seems normative. So I keep saying, oh, but it's just a bad day. Or, oh, but this is our community. Or, but I know mm -hmm. they're really not like that. Where Andrew's like, red flags are everywhere. I can't even see the field. There's <laughs> yeah. so many red flags. You know, like, what is going on? So after Easter, I, because part of the text is, Pastor told me that really wasn't a good conversation over text. We should call. So I was like, okay, I'll set up a call. I was concerned. I as said, I didn't think it was a good idea, but we no longer felt comfortable joining the Zoom. So I called, you know, because, hey, you know, when I first talked, first called Pastor D, he was like, oh, you know, it's just staff. And when we show up in Eastern, like, that's more than staff. Like, when you have like a, like, it was more yeah. than staff. Uh, you know, you're, so I called, want to talk about that. And I said, well, you know, I can't really, I can't change what you're going to do, but my family, we can just choose to opt out mm -hmm. for now. Until it becomes, because we had, like, Andrew had scoured yeah. the codes, the LA County stuff. And he's like, I literally see that this is not okay. And we couldn't in good conscience be like, well, we're just going to support this. And I don't know if, like, off recording or whatever, I don't know if, Andrew, you want to talk about, like, not necessarily exactly where you worked, but you worked in a context that had someone from his work found out that our church was doing this, any thought of missional yeah. was done. Like credibility out the door. This was literally what people within his office were like, these crazy yeah. churches, like, what are they doing? Like, they're going to kill people. Which, I mean, that's actually a huge issue with the church nationwide was it did completely and is still hurting the church's witness when churches chose the easy way versus doing it the hard way and caring for people like you that were immunocompromised. And I also want to point out that you guys opting out, it didn't even have to be because of codes. One, it's okay to not go to a church service on a Sunday. It's okay. God is not mad at you for not going to church on a Sunday. But two, that is 
also like actively causing like wounds to you and your heart as a member of that church because guess what the the facts are the majority of the people at your church were young college kids who when covid was starting what we were hearing was those people are going to probably be fine if they catch covid like we don't we still don't know anything right like all of us can agree with that on this call but in that moment you're like they're going to be okay but guess what if ashley catches covid she's going to die so you're watching this and saying you guys aren't willing to sacrifice for people like me which is a valid reason Mm -hmm. to not want to go weekly to see people you have sacrificed for and love choose not to for you like that that is painful that that's a breaking of trust and relationship for you guys and that's fair so you decide to opt out of this zoom with abundant reasons for why you want to opt out how did that phone call with pastor d go the phone call actually went fine but the next day i got an email from him saying that i needed to inform him if we weren't going to be there because we were on leadership and it would just be confusing to the congregation if they couldn't see us on Zoom. It was titled Inform, colon, Leadership in Sundays. He knows he needs to know of our decision beforehand, if we're going to be there or not. Andrew, you responded like, can you clarify how this is going to cause confusion if we don't show up? And would this like, why would this impact our MC leadership stuff? Do you want to? Sure. I mean, so it caused confusion surrounding why you're entrusted to the leadership of people in the church when you're out of alignment with the church on something that's so essential to, the, to, the, to be leaders in the church. Put people under the discipling leadership of someone who believes they should not be, be participating in the church. And that's really confusing. And they yeah. said, there seems to be enough areas where you and Ash process together and come to different convictions in the leadership of the church. And that warrants a conversation about why leadership makes sense to you or plant and residence. I've been in touch since his roles overseen at you know, mission communities. And I thought it'd be helpful. So we had a planned meeting with the plant and residents just to go over how the missional community as well as and pastor Jesus. So I know he's kind of invited himself to that next meeting. It was in a few days. All of that for just not being on a zoom. Correct. Yeah. Because, you know, Pastor D would scroll through, like you could see him swiping, oh, hey, so-and-so, hey, so-and-so, hey, which at the onset's like, oh, that's sweet, that's a pastor. And looking back, I'm like, no, he's literally calculating who's here, who's not, who's here, who's not. In that email, he basically says, you can't be in leadership if you're not coming to the Zoom. And you're like, okay. (laughs) Did you, were you just like, all right, then, I guess not. No, I was like, but we have to go on Sunday. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you loved them. Seriously, Andrew is the most. Yeah, and Andrew, oh, that poor guy. <laughs> I'm like, but I don't want to leave, you know, sort of thing. Like people pleasing yeah. Ashley is like, ah, he's mad at us. We can't make him mad at us. I'm not quite sure I'm ready to break right. up with the church yet, you know, sort of thing. And so, yeah, we pop on. We kind of. We at that point started attending yeah. a different church. <laughs> so we went to their like 8 a.m. service and then we jump onto this one. So you sent those text messages separately from that at the same time, kind of. Andrew's having this call. He's yes. tell- informing Pastor D that you guys won't be attending these Zoom uh, church services. We're considering not. And at that point, you basically get removed from leadership because of that? Or was that just threatened? We're on that path. Like he's already kind yes. of put the warnings that, you know, we're on that, we're out of alignment, yes. I think, was his words. Uh, mm-hmm. 
So we're already kind of like, I mean, I mean, I, I, I kind of saw that we're heading this direction, but we're just getting further. And then we have, we'll get to the text in a moment, but before that we had this Zoom meeting with Pastor D and the other leaders of the Mitchell community, because we were the administrators, which wasn't, I mean, considered a leadership, but if all you're doing is coordinating food, that's yeah. not leading. <laughs> it was real awkward. The staff member M and, and the husband shared that there had been this, they had some issues with us for months, apparently, that, but they didn't feel comfortable talking to us, but didn't say and didn't why. And didn't what the issues were. We had no idea. No, we have no, no clue. So this is just Pastor D, none, the other staff member, and you guys, no idea why there's an issue, but there's an issue. And church planter. Okay. The, yeah. I mean, I mean, the end of it was, we were, end of the Zoom, with we were supposed to pray and decide if we should still be in leadership of the missional community, whether or not that Pastor D had shared, like, he couldn't lead with us because of our differences. Because one of the big differences we kind of mentioned was more like a view of the gifts, which would become this close-handed issue. And, you know, Pastor D had said literally, like, this is the way Jesus, where Jesus is leading the church. So now... It's like, oh, I'm not just disagreeing with you on theology. I'm disagreeing with the creator of the universe. Yeah. That's a hard yeah. one to reconcile. That was where things got further weird and awkward. And then like... And still the text messages that I sent to those two people on Easter Sunday has not come up. We haven't even... I haven't talked about it right. to either person. We've just moved on. That was me expressing like anxiety on a right. Sunday morning. And then we moved on. So how does that conversation end? That meeting with the staff member, Pastor D, and the church planter? We were supposed to, all of us, all six of us were supposed to pray about whether or not Andrew and I should remain not only in leadership of the MC, but in the MC itself. That meets at your house. That meets at our house. That, well, not anymore because of COVID. Well, not anymore because COVID. Yeah. But it, it did. And this is still, I mean, this is still mid-April. We're thinking by May we're going to be right. fine. So next month we're going to come back, you yep. know, sort of thing. I, that week sit down, I guess it was Tuesday, but it was probably started Sunday. I sat down and wrote a lengthy email that I actually never ended up sending basically being like, this hurt. Yeah. It feels like y'all ganged up on this. And there were staff member M said a couple of times, what is it? This is a microcosm of what it's, re what's really happening in our group. It was revealed to us that staff member M and Pastor D and church planter have had conversations about, you know, issues with us. And we had no clue. We had no clue to the point where Pastor D tells Andrew he needs to talk with them and repent and figure out what's wrong. Andrew talks with uh, staff member M and her husband, and they literally are like, I don't know. There's nothing. I don't, you didn't sin against us in any way. And so we're like, what are you, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, you know, like I said in this email that I send a nicer draft to yeah. eventually, but I said, like, I, I dearly love each one of you. I am weeping over this. Never in my wildest dreams did I see this coming to what it has. And it grieves me more than words can say. And this is where I, I put into words something that I think kind of encapsulate what is going on. And I said, Going forward, I ask that Pastor D and Church Planter and Staff Member M, as you know, since you guys are all on staff together, would please communicate the changes to doctrine and leadership expectations to members of leadership before something like this happens to another person. 
what was very much an open-handed issue a few months ago and not even a question in the last three years has now become close-handed and one that will bar people from leadership at our church. This must be communicated to every leader. It is not fair to set people up in a way such as this. And I'm honestly thankful that it was us that had to find out this hard way. First, because had we not been through pain in church leadership before, I could see this being crushing. And so I, when I read that last, you know, over the last couple of days, I was like, this is like my journal entry yeah. of like, I, it was April 21st that I got it for the first time of like, oh, this is bad. This is not just like a, you guys have a little bit of differing opinion, but we love Jesus so we can work together. It was, you're no longer welcome here. Yeah. Gosh, that's so heartbreaking. And that was the day before my birthday and the day before the text messages come back up. <laughs> And that was, I got an email, Andrew and I get an email on, um, so yeah, so on April 22nd, which is Ashley's birthday, we inadvertently get locked out of our apartment. We're sitting outside waiting for our landlord to come and lock us. And while outside, get an email from Pastor D saying, so someone mentioned me today that Ashley texted them during Easter service about it being illegal for us to be at the, where they're meeting. I'm not quite sure what to say, but it's my biblical role to work against division of the church. Please send me a list by the end of tomorrow of any people that you've been talking to in a way that would cast moral doubt about our being at where they're meeting for streaming, even if it was shrouded in a prayer request. I need to follow up with them to share why why we are and what we've been wrestling through and making that decision. And again, the text you sent was literally like, I'm struggling with how many people are there. You didn't even say the word illegal. Yeah. Okay. So what happens at that point? Because you're like, okay, I've only texted two people and they're like our best friends or three people. It was a group mm -hmm. text, right? With Church Planter and his mm -hmm. wife and you guys, and then your mm -hmm. dear friend. So what yeah. happens at that moment? It's your birthday. You get okay, this. Happy birthday. Do you email back? Yeah. Happy birthday. Do yeah. you hop on a phone call? What happens? I'm a wreck. Yeah. I'm an absolute That's such a wreck. betrayal. I'm a sobbing, snot-nosed yeah. wreck to the point where Andrew had planned a surprise Zoom birthday party for me mm -hmm. that night, and I literally tried to get out yeah. of it um, and was sobbing. And Pastor D's wife is on this call. And the three people that received that text message are on this call. And I'm just sitting there like, I can't believe what's happening. Right. It was, kid you not, the worst birthday oh, of my I'm life. Sure. And, and had, did you not respond to that email before you guys have that Zoom call? Uh, I, I, I did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. Yeah, she said that she said she talked to one person. She'd wait to get permission for that person before sharing the conversation. But once that person responds, then she can share and hopefully that will make things more clear. Yes. Okay. And this whole time, Andrew's like, no, 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 no. This is not going to happen this way. Right. We will be calling about this because this is not appropriate. <laughs> so you call Pastor D the next day, correct? I email him saying, I think this would be better over phone. And we set up a phone call the next day to discuss it. And I believe the, the church fire residence was on this call. It was hour long. Nothing happens, really. I say, well, if there's sin, then we should know about it. If people are talking about us behind our back, then that probably should be brought forward and addressed because that sounds like gossip. And he continued to reassure me it's definitely not gossip. It couldn't possibly be gossip. I'm like, 
I'm not sure. Okay. Accuses us of being divisive. That he, you know, he's just kind of a pastor working towards unity, trying to keep his church together. Um, and we're apparently the enemies of that now. I'm not quite sure. And saying that through this time, the plan of residence is just kind of sitting there listening. Absolutely silent. And he was one of the people that got the text. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, I think it shows so much of my character. I'm sitting next to Andrew on the couch because I can, Pastor D is so loud yeah. that I can hear him as the phone's pressed up against his ear. And I'm practically whisper screaming, like, church planter, say something. Like, we are being, our character is literally being raked over right now. And everything is calling into being called into question. And you are silent, but you know the truth. You know what happened. And this is all because you guys didn't want to share who you texted. Correct. Right? Yes. Because we were That's like... not appropriate. I mean, it's not yeah. like we were embarrassed or anything, but it was like, why do we have to tell you? They didn't even come to us. Right. The last we heard about this text message, they were like, yeah, I get it. Like, I totally understand. Well, also, Pastor D doesn't have a right for that information at all. Like, I don't care who he is. He doesn't have a right. No. And the fact that he's pressing you on it and, and leveraging, uh, saying that it's divisive is not only concern, but he should be called out there. Be like, no, actually, you're being the one that's being divisive. You're the one that's sinning right now. You're the one that's gossiping, not us. Yeah. Didn't he hang up on you guys to end Oh, well, call? there you go. Yeah, he hung up on there me. That's how go. the conversation ended. That's not divisive. <laughs> And why did he? And what did you say that made him hang up on you? I I think he just got frustrated. The conversation wasn't going anywhere. It's just circles. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm not going to tell you who. You you finally were like, hey, this is a boundary, and you're pushing it, and I'm not going to let you continue to push it. And so you got hung up on because <laughs> no. that was frustrating yeah. to somebody who was actively pushing your boundaries from the moment you probably you got to LA maybe earlier. Ended that way. I mean. The, the more or less writing was on the wall that we were already out the door, more or less. Yeah. But we still had to have our last Zoom to discuss the fact that we weren't going to be leading or part of the missional community anymore the next, like, two days later. Yeah, three days later on that coming Sunday, we all have to meet. And Pastor D is, like, super friendly. It was so awkward because we're like, you just hung up on Andrew, like, three days ago. And now we're, like, buddy, buddy, like... Was this in front of your whole MC? No, this was just the two okay. other, this was staff member M and her husband and then church planter and pastor D and us. And it was decided like, yeah, we're, we're going to step down because we are clearly, and in an email I'd sent to that group, I was like, we are obviously not welcome. Yeah. And not once, not once in this whole thing where we ever asked, what do you believe about? The spiritual gifts. Were you ever asked, like, are you okay? Or was it ever even said, like, of course you're welcome? No. 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 They're like, you aren't welcome. No, it was like, how dare you? <laughs> like, how dare you even, like, say yeah. that? What, who do you think we are that we just kick you out? You know, sort of thing. So it was like, sorry, Andrew, two days later, again, I swear this, all of this is all, like, April 2020. Yeah. Two days later on the 28th. Andrew has his last phone call with Pastor D and the church planter who's silent again the entirety of the meeting. This is like a two-hour conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'm pacing up and down in our bedroom as our kids are like watching something in the yeah. other room and just sobbing yeah. because I can see that, like I said, the writing on the wall is there. We're yeah. gone. I see three and a half, like three years of my life 
it feels like you know when you like watch a building collapse like some building they like are going to demolish and they implode it from the inside that feels like my entirety of my life is playing out in front of me in this massive implosion because I'm realizing we have dedicated every second of our life these last three years to this church we have no friends really I mean there's a couple odd like here and there but not anything like huge and it's mainly for me because I went to a women's Bible study there. So, you know, outside the church. So I have some gals I can probably talk to and stuff. And we don't know anybody else. We're far away from all of our families. And so I'm like, crap, there's no reason for us to be here anymore. We left everything and now we're just shown the door. That's heartbreaking. Andrew, what was being uh, said or what did you say on that phone call and what did Pastor D respond as you were leaving so it was a phone call i had scheduled him like weeks before to discuss that i had gotten accepted to a seminary and was considered trying to like switch vocations and go into pastoral ministry and he wanted to discuss that and that quickly went sideways because it came up with him asking if i trusted him i'm like well no as honest i didn't trust him <laughs> he kind of starts encouraging me, like well then maybe i need to leave this church and go find another church with a pastor I do trust and spend a few years being mentored by them before I consider seminary. He's going to remove us from all leadership. He's going to announce that like that coming Sunday. Like I think this was when he was, when the next monthly leadership meeting was going to be. And then he's kind of ready to end the phone call. I'm like, well, we're not like, we should discuss the fact that you hung up on me and we're not really reconciled. And then the conversation kind of goes back in the same circles. He gets upset that I'm not giving names to the people that actually texted starts questioning my character starts saying things like well everyone's just five minutes away from throwing away their character but reminds us we need to think about how much the church has done for him remind us how much character he possesses but that i apparently mm -hmm. didn't said we're similar to anias and sapphira that you know because peter already knew what anias and sapphira did so pastor d didn't have to explain how he knew what he knew he just he just knew it was just bad on so many levels. I mean, I think church planners may say a few things that Pastor D kind of forced him to say, like, hey, what's your opinion on this? And But it didn't really, like... I mean, that, that was where, my last, like, phone call with with Pastor D. Okay. And then after that, you leave. You chose to leave, right? Yeah. 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 We sent um, email and text to people saying, it's a really painful decision, but our family will be no longer at this church. We love you guys. We love the church. We've given up a lot for this church um, over the years, and it grieves us. But, you know, reach out with any questions. Because mm -hmm. we were really, at least for me, and I think Andrew as well, like that word divisive just sticks in your mm -hmm. head. And then that becomes who you are. I am a divisive church wrecker yeah. woman. And so anything feels divisive. And that is such a, I mean, I was called that at Mars Hill. When we left, we were called that. We're called that now. Like being, having that attached to you as a person, I can't explain the damage that does. And so instead of being honest with people like, this is what is going on. The train is coming and it's hitting all of these things. Um, we were really concerned about making sure we didn't gossip about Pastor D, that we didn't defame him, that we didn't defame anybody with it, that we were like very, you know, above reproach, air quotes. Um, and that was kind of our, we never got a chance to talk yeah. then. We waited too long. 
because we didn't put the narrative out immediately because we were very concerned of making sure that we were, if this ever got back to so-and-so, that we would be like, yeah, that that represents my feelings and my character because that was a Thursday and on Sunday night, the leadership of the church was informed of our leaving and why we left through Pastor D and church planters' eyes. And the people that had initially said, yeah, let's talk. Holy cow. Like, is there something I need to know? Like, you're the Titus's. Like, you have to, you guys are like the family that came down here and you're leaving. I cannot, like, this must be huge. Literally on Monday morning, we get a barrage of texts and emails saying, actually, you know, Pastor D talked about it. I'm good. Like, I'm really hurt that you chose to do this without informing us, but best luck. Uh-huh. We're still friends. We can still be friends, right? And I personally get emails saying like, we were really, yeah, we really hurt that you guys left in this fashion. We think it's unwise. You didn't process this with any of us. But, you know, Pastor D was really, really kind with what he said. Not disparaging at all. Um, which, side note, throughout these three years, there have been leaders that have come and gone. Not obviously same as us, but in similar veins. Those conversations aren't really well received. Yeah. The explanation of why so-and-so left isn't like, they're a great person, they love Jesus. It's undercutting every part of their character. Yeah. Well, he'd also already sliced and diced both of you on the way out. I mean, he wasn't, I mean, calling you An- Ananias and Sapphira yeah. and questioning your character. So, I mean, yeah. his track record speaks for itself yeah. on how he's going to handle the spin of this. So Yeah. Yeah. And so I think... I know we're going really long. So um, the only other thing that I wanted to share about was just um, later that week after the, you know, Sunday meeting when it was announced our leaving, I finally talked to dear friend who I had texted Easter Mm -hmm. Sunday. And she tells me that she was very, very happy that I didn't press her into like, did you talk to Pastor D about this? Because she just couldn't get into it. After about an hour into like our two hour phone call, she goes, okay, so you have to promise you will never tell anybody about this because I'm already going to have to do a lot of damage control. Her literal words, damage control with Pastor D when he finds out I've told you this. But, and then she drops the fact that she is a consult for Pastor D and the staff if they need to talk about things that are going on, if they need to find out what's going on, like on the ground. She's the eyes and ears. I'm stunned beyond belief because I realized then and there that everything I have told her for months, if not years, probably made its way back to Pastor D or could have. She verbatim tells me, this can't go public because the role that I'm in would be compromised and no one would trust me again. And in my mind, I'm shouting, yeah, this is true because you're literally... The person, all the girls go to this her. She's so sweet and you just love her. And, you know, and no one knows. I don't even know to this day if anybody at that church knows what she was really doing behind the scenes. Or is still doing. Or is still doing. And it's in almost, I think it was like eight or nine years of marriage at that point. I had never seen Andrew get visibly angry. He is the most like solid guy you will meet in your life. He was so, yeah. he was like, that is That's so just, gross. Oh. It's such a betrayal. Yes. There are things that you might tell a friend or someone you trust 
that you're like, hey, I'm struggling with this thing and I'm trusting to bring you into this. And I feel like I have enough yes. space right now to bring you into this. Not Pastor D. I'm not, I don't have enough space to bring him in. Like, I'm just like tiptoeing into this with you as my friend. So, yeah, it's just such a betrayal. And it's weird to me. I, I have a clarifying question. So, was this a role that Pastor D gave her? We were thinking about that over the last week. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, she was part of it was because of her job. I mean, honestly, we just don't know yeah. how it came about. But it was something that there was, you know, a role that she was in. And yeah, so, I mean, that kind of was the final straw of everything. And, you know, we get an email later that week from church planter and residents basically saying, like, I've been a part of unhealthy churches. This is not an unhealthy church. Please come back so we can reconcile. Like, I'm really hurt that you did this. Our families are ready to move to, like, a different country to plan a church together, which we were, by the way, in yeah. talks of that. Yeah, just, I mean, we're yeah. just done. And from the same people that literally are like, you can't tell your boys that this church is like cutting you off because they're going to see that ha affects how they see the church. Capital C, by the way, I've never talked to these people. It was just done. Best friendships. We're, you know, spending hours and hours every week with people. And not once was it, you know, Andrew and Ashley's character isn't like this. What's going on? It was what did you, why did you do this to us? There was never, it was never a, huh, there's some red flags here because this is out of character for Ashlyn and Andrew. There must be something else. It was just, you've hurt us. How dare you leave? I can't trust you anymore. And it doesn't seem, we were told by staff member M and her husband in a text message, hey, you know how we said we wanted to talk to you about what, why you left? We actually don't want to anymore because we've heard from other people that you were really mean to them about how, in their conversations and you're not at a point where you want to reconcile. So it'd be pointless for us to talk to you anymore, but it was really great knowing you. It came from, I had a phone call with someone that was really concerned about how we we're doing. I said, we're doing great. Like getting yeah. out of this church was like getting a breath of fresh air. Like it was like, I mean, obviously there's right. pain. We, oh, yeah. we just left the whole church, but it was like getting just out of like this almost like, toxic environment and like seeing light and breathing air for the yeah. first time in three years and like mm -hmm. in a lot of ways we're doing better than we had in a long time and that really upset him to find that out of like the idea that we could thrive without the church not capital c church yeah. not capital c, <laughs> but this particular church yeah. was just was like irreconcilable to him and he got kind of like offended that he's like because he's like i'm really concerned about you but, I'm like, but you don't need right. to be so you go to the board right and have a conversation what happens we were encouraged by people that there's this big problem in the church we should go to the board of directors because theoretically they are there to help keep pastor d accountable the board directors is not public knowledge, so you kind of have to find out who they are. I happen, since I was on the board, know who at least one of the active board members was. I reach out there, you know, there were, I reach out to their assistant to schedule a Zoom um, with them to discuss it uh, on the Zoom. The person mentions, oh, we are there. They had talked to Pastor D about it. Pastor D had you know, informed the board about what was going on. You know, he was really surprised what he heard because, you know, it just didn't sound like Pastor D to him. And, you know, he takes eldership qualifications really seriously. Um, since it's just us bringing up things and not necessarily things you know, like he thinks are always severe enough for removal, like you need more than one witness. 
So there really wasn't anything he could do. Um, he, you know, he's a little concerned about when he heard about the, this counselor role, but he said he's going to talk to Pastor D and find out more about what was going on. But as a whole, like, is like one half was like, I take this very seriously. The other half, but I'm going to talk to Pastor D about this. And like, you don't have enough of an argument for me to really do anything. You said, you know, that's not even, and I know you can't see like what I'm saying, but he literally, when he said it, he goes, that blows my mind. That's not even the Pastor D I know. That's so beyond his character. Like that doesn't even sound like him. So we like share all of this. I'm sobbing and he's telling us, guys, that's not the guy I know. And then You're wrong. He, it, <laughs> literally. And we're like, what is going on? Like we came to this board member for help. It was our last like white flag. Like someone's got to help us. We're drowning in this. And he then <laughs> during the conversation goes, Oh, and I just want to let you know, I told Pastor D that you had contacted me and we we're talking today. And he's really excited about that. And we were like, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was just like, nope, never will trust this person again. And so it was like the final, that was like the final nail in the coffin of like, we cannot go to anyone because no one believes us. And at this point, we knew other people who had left, year, you know, even like a year or two ago. And we had informed, you know, people like, hey, we're going to talk to the board. We'll let you know how it goes. Andrew's like, tell them yeah. not to go to the board because they're going to be they're going to yeah. be re-traumatized. Like that was horrific. It was almost worse than the other conversations, Pastor D, because we really, truly thought if we could go to the board, this could get resolved. We had almost reached out to Acts 29 because the nearest pastor was your church. Was your church? Your- <laughs> That would have gone very well. This was about one and a half months before I got fired. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. when you were doing this. Yeah, it would have gone very Great. well. Very productive. That's part of the thing for us. Like, we went from this has to be an outlier to like, oh no, this is way not an outlier. We say this a lot of episodes, abusers or people that abuse people don't abuse everyone. So just because that Pastor D is not, that blows your mind. He couldn't be that person. When he holds authority and you are in a position that you can hold him accountable, you owe it to the flock to at least investigate the validity of an abuse claim. So that was completely unethical what happened to you guys with that board member. And I am so sorry that you experienced that. That is so traumatizing. I know for me, even in my own story, and I, I think you guys can probably relate to this, is just like the failure at every level is just like a whole another level of betrayal and what you have envisioned for church structure and how we're all going towards Jesus, right? So like we're all unified in Jesus, even if we aren't unified in secondary issues. And once you start to see those things crumble for the system to be upheld versus the way that Jesus has called us to live it is just completely heartbreaking, devastating. So you you lived through that though, and you're you're here today. <laughs> how are you guys doing today? Let's end with that. Uh, I'm not sure how we're doing today. It depends on the day. In some ways, like there are definitely things that still remind us of our time in Los Angeles. 
and that's kind of hard and that comes we are you know attending part of a church here in seattle and that's been good our relationship with our you know our pastor has been very good like he's been very understanding he's you know said things like i don't necessarily expect you or demand you trust me like he understands that because we were harmed by a pastor that there may be some like trip you know at least when we first, you know, hesitancy there with kind of that relationship with him. Like it's been good for us in that regard. But other things are like, there's certain songs, as soon as I hear them, my mind, like the vision of like the playback reel of our time in LA comes, you know, back into my head. We specifically didn't join certain churches on our trip. Like we moved back up to Seattle six months after we left. Yeah, we specifically didn't go to certain churches because we knew that people there knew and or financially still supported Pastor D in the church. And I just felt Mm. too scary. I mean, there's times that we won't go to events we're invited to, even like now that we are invited to, that we know other people at that supported or support Pastor D and we just can't even, can't do it. Like it's too, it's too raw still. But I agree with Andrew, our, our church we're at now, I mean, Honestly, there's not going to be any church that's going to be perfect. And we all, I mean, everyone on this call knows that. Like, but I think it was good for us to see that there's going to be stuff to work through in every church. But it has been such a healing process with our pastor and his wife that they literally were like, you don't have to trust us. It's okay. Like, we haven't earned that. And that meant the world to us. And you know, I've been able to press in and say, I don't like how this is going. Like this concerns me. And our pastor's like, okay, let's talk about it. Cool. How can we like, okay, I see that. Okay. Let's change this. And it's just like, wait, what? Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, you ask like, where are we today? What gets us through is knowing that this is not just about one church and God's church is way bigger than just Acts 29. And at least for me personally, it has taken these, you know, two years to be like, wait a second, what does scripture actually say about church and believing in God? And we're not just part of a white evangelical church in America. Like the church is like two different, there's like yeah. hemispheres involved. <laughs> like it's, this is so much bigger. So it's been beautiful to think like, to learn more about not just like U.S. historic church, but like what did, you know, <laughs> the apostles think about things and that's kind of where we are but yeah i agree with andrew it's 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 definitely better than it was you know and it helps that we're not walking down the same street the pastor lives on we couldn't like we would have we would go into fight Mm -hmm. or flight when we saw his car and so it's helped but yeah there's definitely those trigger things and it's going to be a process for a while what would you say to anybody else that was in a similar situation to you guys right now that maybe is listening to this they're they're I can almost guarantee there are people listening to this right now that are in similar situations to what you guys were in and they're hearing this and thinking, this is me. <laughs> this is what I, this is what I'm living right now. What, what do I, what do I do? What helped is seeing there is life outside of the church we're part of. And for as much as people hate social media and Twitter, going on the Twitter and following people that had expu- you know spiritual abuse experiences in some even within Acts 29 and reading from them and seeing them and then you know there was a talk we'd listened to that Wade Mullen had done on spiritual abuse at a conference and that was really helpful and like but I think in some ways someone there like 
there is life outside of the church and life will continue with or without it. Like you can, if you feel like you can't leave a church, that's not healthy and you can leave like Christ's body and is huge. Have you ever been so hungry you forgot that you were hungry? Being in a space that demands so much of your heart, mind, and spirit, and that promises community, but at the expense of your soul, is crushing. It's as if you are pouring out every part of you, spending all of the energy your body can muster as your very being seems to wither away. Breaking out of a community like this comes at a steep, excruciating cost. But staying when you're starving could mean losing the last frail parts of you that exist. Ashley and Andrew moved to Los Angeles with anticipation and wonder for what God had in store. They left battered and bruised, in so much pain that their hunger was drowned out by their sorrow. But as they wandered through the wilderness, they found themselves embraced by a community that was not in a rush with their healing. Ashley wrote this about taking communion with their new church. I don't know when the last time we had actually celebrated the Lord's Supper was. All I knew was that I was so very hungry. I felt as though I hadn't eaten in perhaps my whole life, and I longed for that in a way that I never had before. As I read her words, I couldn't help but think of the Beatitudes where Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you find yourself wandering the wilderness, starving and weak, your hunger is holy, and there is a feast being readied at a table that promises to leave all who come full. For Jay Coyle, I'm Jonna Harris, and this has been the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast.